what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.TV podcast network. My name is Alan Jackson. Across the table from me is Christopher Fry. Chris, how you doing? I'm doing well. I'm a little uh, scattered because uh, yes. next week, as we record this, this is the week before our film festival. So yeah, our things big are, things are a little crazy. Annual film festival. For those of you not aware, uh, it's the Foot Candle Film Festival. It is coming up here at the end of September. So yes, as we're recording this, we are in the throes of pre-festival madness. Yes, and, uh, so <laughs> that's a good way to put it. That's uh, that being said, I'm just going to go ahead and kind of say. Today's episode's a little more thrown together, a little more <laughs> a little more unrehearsed, a little more off the cuff, but that's okay. We're still talking movies. We are able to talk movies, even if it's not all exactly written out and scripted for us what to say. So, Chris, you ready for a little more loose, rough, rough and tumble episode today? Sure, absolutely. Well, to 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 start us off on that rough and tumble episode, we will be reviewing two films, both of them with Longer titles than than necessary. Uh, <laughs> Three thousand years of longing is the latest George Miller film we'll be discussing, followed by Marcel the Shell with shoes on. Um, so we're averaging about four to five uh, words, or at least five or six words, uh, on average at each of those two titles. But we'll be re- reviewing both of those films for you. Then we'll be moving on to some movie news. We've got some, uh, I've got a couple of interesting projects to share with you, Chris, to kind of get your feed on uh, what your what your take is on some of these projects that are going to be coming down the pike in the film world. We have a trailer I want to show also for an upcoming movie I'm very curious about, and I'm anxious to hear Chris's take once okay. he sees the trailer as well. Then we're going to have our recommendations, which I'll just go ahead and tease us a little bit. We're going to do something I don't think we've ever done before, and that we're both going to give a joint recommendation. We have given a joint recommendation before, um, and I can't remember what it was, but it was for a film that was available like VOD or you could rent. We've definitely never given a joint recommendation for a new release yeah. that just came out in the theaters. So That's yes, what we will be doing. So if yeah. that has kind of... Uh, teased you a little bit and tempted you to maybe stay to the end of the episode, then our job is done there. Mm-hmm. So with that, Chris, we got a full show, it's a couple reviews, lots of news, some recommendations to give. Let's go ahead and start into our first review, which is the latest from he of Mad Max and Fury Road. Um, um, George Miller. Yes. <laughs> he of that George Miller as the director and writer of the film, 3,000 Years of Longing. My name is Alethea. My story is true. I am a solitary creature by nature. I have no children, no siblings, no parents. I did once have a husband. If there is fate, who can say? But in the Grand Bazaar of Istanbul... I chose a memento. I like it. 
George Miller did kind of hit the scene in 1979 with Mad Max. He followed that up with The Road Warrior in 1981. Then uh, he did have Mad Max Beyond the Thunderdome in 1985. But then uh, he went and did things like Babe, Pig in the City, Happy Feet, Happy Feet 2. But he came back and did Mad Max Fury Road in 2015, which we did review on the show. In between... His next Mad Max project, which is supposed to be Furiosa, which is currently filming, supposed to come out in 2024, he decided to take a short story and turn it into a feature film. The short story was The Djinn in the Nightingale's Eye by A.S. Bayat, and he thought, you know what? That sounds like a cool story. I'm going to make a feature film out of it. He did. It's called 3,000 Years of Longing. It's about a lonely scholar a narratologist, I believe is what they call her mm-hmm. in the movie, played by Tilda Swinton. She's on a trip to Istanbul. She discovers a djinn, played by Idris Elba, Elba, who offers her three wishes in exchange for his freedom. Alan, mm-hmm. what was your experience with Mr. George Miller's latest film? Um, I'm mixed on it. Mixed. I'm okay. mixed. I, 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 there was a lot to like here. Okay. And there's some things that were frustrating to me as well. Okay. To where at the end of the day, I ultimately going to come out positive on the film. I do think there was enough there to make it an interesting experience, but I will get to some of my concerns with it or some things that just didn't work for me as well a little bit later in our discussion. Um, I will say it's interesting. You know, the, the film the film has an interesting structure to it mm-hmm. that I will say as we get later in the conversation it, it is one of the problems I have with it. The structure, I'm trying to think how to, how to, how to explain this without, you know, going into too much detail and giving much away on the film. <laughs> sure. Uh, you've got about two thirds of the film set in one location. Yes. Where you're using flash, you're using stories to interject into that one setting so it's two people in a singular setting, but relying on storytelling to kind of move, move that narrative along. Right. So I think there's like maybe three stories that are told during that time. Yes. Then the last portion of the film does change to a more conventional structure of a film. And I, I felt, I felt it was maybe a little lopsided in the wrong direction. Um, hmm. I felt like, the stories take up so much of the film. And I kind of felt like that that was going to be the whole impetus of the whole film. Right. But then it changes gears and changes to kind of the, the narrative flow of the film so much that I, 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 I enjoyed the narrative structure at the end of the film so much. I kind of, in retrospect say, Oh, I actually wanted more of that, but I got so much of the stories, which I enjoyed the stories while I was seeing them. But then I, saw what they led to. And I'm like, Oh, well actually I, if I could go back in time, I kind of want to reverse that a little bit. Anyway, the structure Mm. was a little, it was a little tough for me. Uh, I I came away more regretful of what I feel like we didn't get or could have gotten from it. But I will say I, I enjoyed the central conceit of the film. I enjoyed the two characters. I enjoyed, I thought, Edris Elba was really, really good as the Jen, or if we want to use a more colloquial term, a genie, genie you right. know, is kind of how you think about it. Sure. Tilda Swinton was 
Tilda Swinton. I think I think <laughs> she was playing a very typical Tilda Swinton character. Sure. Um, they both worked for me. I like the concept a lot. I did find some of the stories that were being told interesting. <laughs> One of the stories I felt was really went on too long and didn't really have a lot of focus to it. I felt like it was more padding out kind of a story to make this short story that George Miller adapted something much longer. Uh, anyway, sh- narrative structure I have some issues with in the film. And I felt like there was some missed opportunities to really make something a lot more interesting and cohesive. But I love the overall concept of the film, and I did like the performances quite a bit. And it was a beautiful-looking film as well. So I'm kind of all over the place on this, Chris, as you could probably tell. <laughs> um, I'd like to hear your thoughts. What did you think of 3,000 Years of Longing? Well... So I liked the film, but I think, like you're saying, for me, the big kind of hang up I have on it was the the story. Mm-hmm. Um, it did. It started out strong for me. Um, the first, you know, if we kind of divide it up into little sections, you're right. They give you a little bit of a preamble, and then there's some there's time spent in a hotel room telling stories. I was mm-hmm. fine with the preamble. I was fine with two of the three stories in the hotel room. By the time it got to the third story it seemed to get a little kind of samey to me. Mm -hmm. And then the transition into the last part of the film that you're talking about that moves to a new location, that to me just in a way didn't feel really fleshed out and felt kind of tacked on. Mm -hmm. So that being said, kind of like you're saying, uh, or you've mentioned, I did like the performances of Idris Elba and Tilda Swinton. I thought they were good. Um, The costume design, the sound design, the production design, the cinematography, all that the the music and the score and everything, all that stuff really worked and was well yep. done. Mm-hmm. Um, which you know, from George Miller, who's well known as kind of a visual director, you know, with Mad Max, Fury Road, and stuff like that. It's not surprising that he can craft a really visual film. It's just where it fell down was kind of the kind of the story, um, and just and it you know. It, I did like the flashbacks. Those were some of the things that really got to take advantage of creative cinematography and everything. You mean say flashbacks or the the stories? The f- I, well, the well, they they are both. They're, they're both flashbacks yeah, they're, in time, true. but they're also stories. Flashbacks that are being to the Jen's history. Correct. Correct. Right, right. Okay. Gotcha. So two of those I was I was on board with. The third one I was on board with, but it just didn't. I don't know. It was kind of. I was expecting something more dynamic to happen. I was like, oh, okay. Well, well, here, <laughs> so, here's my thing: is that. At the core of this film, we come to find out the actual, I I come to, I think what really kind of jostled me a little bit with this is you come to learn by the end of the film that this is really a film about the relationship between these two people. Sure. But the first two thirds of the film, I don't feel like it was really about that. It was, but it wasn't really. I, I really think it was more of the, the the Jen's journey and kind of his take on his role. And it had so in my mind, so little to do with the Tilda Swinton character. It was all building up to what we get in the final third, which again, I like this. I like this whole dynamic of this story between these two characters. I like this concept that she is someone who is very uh, wary of this person who's just entered her life and is giving her these opportunities for these wishes. And she's, you know, she's, she's pushing him. She's, she's kind of like testing well, he's pu- him. He's pushing her as well. Well, yeah, they're pushing each other, but there's a right. lot, but I mean, she's pushing back, which is not something that Jen's typically very used to seeing. I don't think. So 
it's an interesting dynamic between the two. But then I just feel like we go off on these stories, which again, I enjoyed a lot of the stories. They looked very good. Some of them were, were quite entertaining. But I just felt like the whole time when we get to that last 20, 30 minutes where I'm like, oh, this is kind of what I was really like hoping we were building to. And now it just seems very rushed and tacked on, like you said, mm-hmm. instead of it being something that was really carrying the whole film. So I kind of wanted more of what we saw in the last portion. I wanted that to be a little bit more evolved in the film. And I just feel like we spent so much time on those flashback stories that I just don't feel like really paid off as much sure. for this relationship. So again, I think we're kind of batting around the same idea. It's just, it's all about the narrative structure. Just kind of well, and didn't I feel quite like gel for, for this, for what the story, what this film was trying to do. We are on the same page. I think um, I, I would say that maybe I'm a little bit more lenient Mm-hmm. to the two-thirds in that, the first two-thirds of the film, in that for me, I felt like the push and pull between Althea, Althea who's the Tilda Swinton character, the storyteller, professional storyteller, scholar, and Idris Elba, who's the genie, the djinn, um, I felt like the push and pull between the two of them in the first two-thirds of the film was laying the groundwork for the last third, it just wasn't as maybe clear. It could have been a little clear, a little bit more obvious that they were trying to, because you know this woman is very isolated and is in theory, not interested in having any type of relationship. The genie, you know, has lived forever, has had different relationships and everything. All he wants to do is get out of the bottle. All she wants to do is learn about him. And she knows that all he wants to do, like, so they're kind of like, it's this, tug of war that maybe could have been highlighted more as like a little bit more of a romantic sense or maybe, and then maybe the last third maybe would have worked a little more. I don't know, but I I feel like the groundwork was there, but it didn't, it could have been a little bit more fleshed out, I guess. I guess the last third just, it's not that I minded that it, the content of what happened just seemed like it, it as well wasn't very fleshed out and, mm-hmm. I, I don't know, just, and maybe pacing has a little bit to do with that in, in addition to the story. Maybe I, I don't know. So it was, but like you said, I, I think we're both, we think it was interesting. It's worth seeing. Um, if you can catch it in the theaters before it leaves, no, no, it's I'm, worth seeing on the big screen too. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm overall positive on it. I did. I think it's a worthwhile experience to see. Um, and again, as I'm watching the film and I realize that, okay, I get it. So this whole this whole framework of this film is taking place in this hotel room and mm-hmm. you have these two characters you have, you know, uh, Althea and you have the Jen and they meet and the Jen is wanting Althea to grant three, uh, to name three wishes. And she fights back to him. She's kind of pushing back. She's suspicious. She, she knows how these stories go that somebody who gets a wish granted, you know, comes back to bite them or there's some ulterior motive and situation behind it. Right. So she's very wary and he's having to constantly convince her. And he does that through his stories of what has happened to him and why he, he, he needs her to, to go forward with the wishes. I love that dynamic. And once I realized that he was going to be talking through stories of his past to help his situation there and help him help her understand him and what situation he's in, I'm on board with that as well. And if that had carried through the end of the film, if the end the film had just been a series of these stories and then we get like this little resolution, hmm. I'm like, okay, I get it. That's cool. That worked. Sure. But 
I think the fact that then we change location and we change kind of the structure of the film and it becomes a much more traditional narrative in the last 20 minutes or so. I liked all of that, but I felt like it was just so quick and abrupt. And I don't know. I wonder if there's a film there that just ends in the hotel room. Oh, I think so. And it would have been been, okay. Yeah. I think I would have been more on board with it. And I liked the last 20 minutes. I would have been okay with a film that was all that. (laughs) Yeah. You know, right. Like, they meet and then you explore what this means for a relationship with them. I'm all for that too. I love that. It's just, I felt like the film was so, it it tried to do everything. Sure. And I felt like it needed to pick one kind of side or the other or balance them a little better than it did. Yeah. I think we're on the same page. I I don't, uh, yeah, pretty much on the same page going about things from two different, uh, perspectives, angles. Mm-hmm. I, th- I will say that I think the last third, if it would developed into a film all by itself, I don't think I'd be as interested in it because mm-hmm. I think it'd end up being more uh, rom-com, romantic comedy, like sure. typical stuff. Whereas it that, was definitely more romance. In the film the last that you bit. describe of like lopping that last third off and kind of having it, you know, wrapped yeah. up as the ex exiting the hotel room. I'm like, yes, I see that. But, you know, this is the film we have, and I think you and I are both generally positive. Generally positive. I think there's a lot here to to, to chew on. I I think visually, again, it's very, very, very well done. Um, You know, it relies on a lot of – there's a lot more CGI than I'd like to have seen used in in places. And, again, this is somebody, George Miller, that did Fury Road, which I know Fury Road, I'm sure, had some CGI elements in it. But so much of it was practical, shot, action – uh, cinematography. So, you know, when, when I kind of see some, a little overused use of CGI in some places in a film like this, I thought, well, there's probably some more, there would have been some more interesting ways to do this uh, without relying on the computer animation side of things at times. But, um, but we are talking about a larger than life gen who appears in a, in an apartment and <laughs> can, you know, shrink down in size and, Right. All that I get it. So sometimes you have to roll out the CGI to make that kind of thing happen. Sure. You know, the interesting thing is too, Chris, I mean, there was a lot of really great performances, but they were all very much smaller supporting roles in those stories that mm-hmm. were being told. Sure. Uh, really, you know, overall it's, it's Tilda Swinton, Idris Elba. And I, I feel like Idris Elba does more of the heavy lifting on this particular film. I think he has a lot more he has to sure. work with. Tilda Swinton, she's really good. She's always good. It's just, I think her, her role is very... She's more reacting and stuff exactly. as far as, yeah. Sure. He's, he's got a lot He's got a lot he's got to pull in this film, and I think he does really well. He's got the heavy lifting. It's probably one of the best things I've seen him do as like as far as his acting goes. It's definitely the most I've ever seen. Yeah. I mean, he's been in other stuff, but yeah, he's really, yeah, he's really doing a lot of work here. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's true. So overall, it was good. I did like it. I just, I wish it had been a... I wish it had been a little different film than it was. Um, but I did like it for what it was. If that's clear enough. Yes. Yeah. Great. Anything else you got to say? No, no, I think we're on the same page. So boringly, apparently <laughs> pretty yeah. much on the same page, yeah. but uh, yeah. it is a shame that this film's not getting a lot more of attention mm-hmm. uh, because you know, it is, I mean, we're at a slow box office season right now. So, I mean, any film can kind of rise up and get, Number one in the box office right now these last few weeks, such as the film we may be talking about later in this episode. Um, so it is even more disappointing that this film's just not getting any audience. And now whether it's just something, you know, like George Miller put out to 
kind of uh, satisfy his need to have a, a little more interesting, sure. uh, creative, original film before he jumps right back into the Mad Max uh, world. You know, which so I'm, I'm all for that. I'm glad that because George Miller, I, you know, I'm aware of his work, but I've never, yeah, I don't anxiously await the next George Miller film. I, I don't, you know, not that I hate Mad Max, but I'm just not that big into it. And a lot of people um, were, when they saw this was coming out, they're like, oh, George Miller's decided to do this film. And they were really excited about it because of George Miller. And I have to say, I am looking forward to Furiosa more and maybe any other films he has that he decides to do because He's just really interested me visually. Mad Max was interesting, or Fury, Fury Road, Road was interesting from a visual perspective, but I was so distracted by the fact that, yeah, this is a franchise movie. You know, yeah. This is the third one of these he's made. So, like, yeah, the fact it's that actually you, the fourth. Road Warrior. Oh, yeah, that's, you're right. Yeah, so fourth. Yeah, yeah exactly. Mad Max, yeah, the Road, Road Warrior, Warrior, Beyond Thunderdome, Thunder right. and then Fury Road. So, yeah, mm-hmm. like, because it was a franchise film, I just... You know, to me, that was like, yeah. yeah, that's all George Miller does. I'd totally forgotten he had anything to do with the Happy Feet movies. Um, but well, he did both pig movies, right? He did, uh, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I think he did both pig movies, both Happy Feet movies. I have him as the director of Babe Pig in the City. I don't have him as the director of Babe, but maybe he did. Maybe he maybe he didn't do Babe. But, I could be wrong on but that. But still, it's I been mean, a long festival planning week. I don't. So I don't I think of him. I've never really, even though apparently, obviously, he is a very visual director. I don't think of it. I hadn't thought of him as that. And now I will. <laughs> so yeah. so I'm, I'm, I'm glad to see that he's going to be able to do Furiosa. He'll probably make a lot of money of that. And then maybe he'll decide to do another really off the beaten path artistic project after that. I don't, I don't know. It's cool. You're right. He had nothing to do with, with, with Babe. I am so, man, I am. He's a producer on Babe. Okay. There you go. But not a director. Got you. Okay. That's very interesting. Oh, he wrote the screenplay for for Babe. Okay, ah. I'm going to claim he was somewhat involved with Babe. <laughs> right, clearly producer and, and writer, just not director of it. Sure. Okay, good enough. All right, I feel a little better now. <laughs> I wasn't completely. Yeah, Chris Noonan was the director. Who? Yeah, don't know. Okay, so that is three thousand years of longing. It is in the movie theaters at the time of this recording. I can't say if that's going to be the case. Right. By the time the episode comes out, or when you actually listen to it. But um, Chris and I both say uh, a warm, warm recommendation. Sure. Worth seeing for the spectacle of it and for the creativity behind it, the visual style and so forth. Just we wish the story had a little more polish to it and a little more balance to it and, and where it decided to go in the film. So, okay, Chris, let's flip over and talk about our second review. This is uh, one directed by a Dean Fleischer camp based on a character created by Dean Fleischer camp and Jenny slate. This is the film Marcel, the shell with shoes on. All right. So I'm making like a little documentary. Oh, it's like it's a like, movie, but nobody has any lines and nobody even knows what it is while they're making it. Mm. No. With Marcel, the shell with shoes on, we have the feature adaptation of some animated short films that were made uh, back in the, on YouTube uh, many, many years ago that all involve a mollusk or shell named Marcel. And yes, he does have shoes on. That hmm. is truth in advertising. It, yep. 
Um, this is based off a series of short films that were created by Dean Fleischer camp, who's the director and writer of this film, along with uh, comedian and actress, Jenny slate who play, who gives the voice to Marcel, but was also one of the ones who kind of helped create the character for those shorts uh, over the years. But now years have passed and now we've come along to a feature film adaptation of that series. Um, the idea of this film is we, it's a shot in a very documentary style where we are getting to know Marcel and some of the other shells or environment around him. And uh, Dean Fleischer camp plays himself as a director who is now shooting this movie about Marcel. Marcel recently lost a lot of his family so the film starts to take on the adventure of how does Marcel reconnect or can he reconnect and find his lost family? And what can this documentarian do to help make that happen? So Chris, I wanted to introduce this film because uh, there are select films in the history of our, however many years we've been doing this podcast and we've been doing this film society long time where uh, the, the Chris Fry high anticipation or eagerness to see a film. There are certain ones that just pop up. And it's just normally a film kind of hits you the right way. It's one that you hear about, you're excited about. You, you, we talk about, we work to get the screening lined up. And this one we did bring to our film society screening. And so I'm always eager to see, does this film that I know was fairly anticipated by <laughs> Mr. Christopher Fry mm -hmm. meet those anticipations that you had for the film? Or is this a situation of uh, expectations were too high and the film just could not meet them no matter how hard it tried? No, this, thankfully, this, this, uh, this was great. Okay. It lived up to my it expectations. Met the, ex met the yeah. Chris Fry anticipation level. Good yeah. Job. I mean, you know, it, it's for a hour, 30 minute film that's based on three short films that of course I'd seen the short films numerous times. Uh, first one I think was something like 2010. So, I mean, this has been, in my cultural consciousness for quite some time. Um, I was surprised mm -hmm. when I heard they were made a, making a feature film. A little nervous, maybe, but then I saw A24 was actually like the distribution company you know, that was working with them on making it. And I saw the trailer, and that's totally what sold me on it because I was like, nope, they seem like they're keeping the same spirit of the shorts. They're not venturing outside. This isn't going to be, you know, Marcel travels the world or he goes on some grand adventure. No, the scope is going to be very narrow, very small. And I dig that. Um, something I liked about it too, is I didn't really, I didn't really kind of connect on how kind of like a fourth wall breaking. They were going to be with mm -hmm. the director, Dean Fleischer camp. He is in the movie as well as, you know, he's one of the writers. He originally did the, you know, the shorts that you mentioned with Jenny Slate. Um, and they, the progress of the movie shows like as if he was making the shorts that you had seen previously, they put mm -hmm. them on YouTube and Marcel like has this dialogue with him about, you know, what does this mean going on YouTube and then they have fame come to their little house where they're staying. And there are all these like, you know, kind of little, you know, semi meta things that mm -hmm. they're doing there about, you know, online culture, Instagram, YouTube, all these kind of things uh, with that, you know, Dean Fleischer camp in real life, was romantically involved with Jenny Slate. They were a couple. Mm -hmm. um, the character in the film, he comes to this Airbnb where Marcel just happens to be. He finds out that he's there because he has recently had a breakup. <laughs> yeah. So it is kind of meta that like, you know, he's had a breakup and then 
the to go layer deeper, the Airbnb itself is the result of a breakup between a couple that had been together. So there's yeah. there's just some interesting little threads that you can kind of leave, or you can just watch it and laugh at the various things that Marcel says. Um, some of which had been you know kind of plucked from the original three films, but not a lot. And thankfully. The trailer does not ruin a bunch of the funny things he says. There's still, mm-hmm. to me, plenty in the film that wasn't spoiled by the trailer that I was like, awesome. There's something, <laughs> there's a little riff that Marcel does about people signing uh, peace and love that mm-hmm. I found really, 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 really funny. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I liked it. What was your What was your experience with Marcel the Shell with shoes on? So I was tempted, Chris, to come in here and tell you that I absolutely despise this film. <laughs> well, I mean, cause I thought this would be kind of a funny conversation. If I could say, all right, I know how much Chris was excited about this sure. film. I'm going to come in and just be as down on this as possible. And just trash it. <laughs> sure. But I can't because <laughs> I did really like this film. <laughs> it was a fun film. Um, I love the fact that it is, yes, it is a quote family film and that, you know, it is, Appropriate for all ages. It is. It's PG. It has got a great story behind it. However, there's enough to it that as an adult, the idea of watching an animated or stop motion animation (laughs) about a shell uh, may not sound appealing, but there is enough here for adults to find a lot of warmth, a lot of humor, a lot to it. Um, So no, I I thought it was great. I had a really good time with it. I laughed out loud many times. Very, very funny. Um, I love the meta sense of it. I think once I realized that, oh, okay, I get where they're going for here. I mean, I knew it was the whole documentary thing, but sure, knowing it's the, no, we're going to put Marcel online and there's now all these shorts and all these millions of people are watching and he's now kind of an internet sensation and people are showing up at his house now. I loved all that. It's like, <laughs> yes, because it's like, it's almost just encapsulating what they've created with this character over all these years and kind of boiling it down to a 90 minute presentation, which was great. So no, I, I really, I had a good time with it and Hey, look, um, I love my 60 minutes too. And (laughs) Marcel and his family, big fans of 60 minutes. Right. Some of the uh, clock ticking moments, uh, uh, were some of my favorites where they were anticipating the start of 60 minutes Yeah. or when they see, Oh, it's in the trailer. So I'm yeah, like, yeah, it's not it's spoiling it. When Leslie Stahl does show up actually in person <laughs> in the film and immediately when seeing her, they start doing the, the ticking of the clock sure. and reciting the normal lead up to 60 minutes show. <laughs> it's just great. So, um, it's Isabella Rossellini, uh, playing Connie, who is, is Marcel's not, not like a relative necessarily, just someone they she cares, he cares I, for. I think it's his, I mean, she, Nana Connie, so like a grandma. Yeah, I, I thought there was I some kind it. of comment about how, you know, kind of treated her like a grandmother. In yeah, the, maybe she. Maybe so. Anyway, she plays a grandmother role. Yeah. It doesn't like, affect the story <laughs> any, but yeah. Uh, Marcel, sorry, can't help. Obviously a big fan explains her accent, but I mean, it's been done by Isabella Rosalini, but saying that she comes from the garage. And right, so that's yeah, why like, she comes different. from far away and yeah, she talks it. So little things like that. She's fond of dust because that reminds her of the garage, like <laughs> where she comes from. Like little, little yeah. things like that. It was a very, it's a very smart, well-written film. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A lot of the dialogue, some of it, I even honestly, I missed a lot of it just, uh, because it's done such a natural style. You sometimes you have to really pay attention to what's being said and understood. Uh, 
Chris, I do, am looking forward to seeing it again and kind of picking up on things I might have missed the first time. I, I'm the same way. I've only seen it once, and I, I look forward to watching it again just because I feel like I missed stuff. And the dialogue, like you're saying, it's it's very yeah. naturalistic. Sometimes it overlaps, and it's really quick, and you're like, wait, what? You know, sometimes mm-hmm. you haven't kind of processed the joke before they move on to do something else. So yeah. Well, and just to reiterate the fact that yes, this is a great family film. There were kids in attendance at both nights of our film screening when we showed it here in our area. Um, but it is also enough for the adults. Sure. Such as, <laughs> I'm sorry. I just, uh, my wife is watching the movie with me Okay. and she has to point out to me, which then I could not unsee it that, I'll just say one of the other shell colony characters okay. is a uh, is a bathroom product that it has inhabited and is now walking around in. And again, for kids, it's not going to mean anything at all. But for adults, it was hilarious. <laughs> I don't think I noticed that. Okay, I'll, I'll fill you in after the show. Okay, uh, I, I, nice. I, I don't feel appropriate talking about it on the show. <laughs> nice. But I'll just say okay. it was a nice little adult humor nod moment too, hmm. with one of the things that you see in the background throughout the whole last several portions of the movie. So, gotcha. anyway, uh, there's a lot here to enjoy for all ages. So I'm all I'm I'm very positive on Marcel the Shell with shoes on. I had a really good time with the film. I mean, look. The whole thing, I mean, every single shot of this film is using some form of stop motion animation. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty impressive. Yes, the animation style itself is fairly elementary, but yet they use it to such uh, immersive situations where, I mean, right. it's in every shot. There is stop motion in just about every frame of this film. And it's so natural looking, even though it is shot in a very, it's not, you know, not to get technical, not very high frame rate. It's not meant to be this super silky smooth animation. It is meant to be more, yeah, you know, it's stop motion animation when you're watching it, but how exhaustive they use it and how seamless it is with everything else it interacts with. Mm-hmm. I think it was really impressive. So, yeah, uh, I, I hope at the end of the year, I mean, we're getting there September. So, you know. Uh, the Academy Awards nominations will eventually come out, you know, later in the year after, you know, the holiday movies are released. But I hope this can make the the five best animated feature list. Would it be animated? Well, that's a good Yeah, see, that's the know. question. There's not really know. a category for like There's a hybrid. There's not stop animation. Well, even but, like hybrid animation like this because there is, I mean – it is shot in live video, you know, it's not an right. animated world. Sure. But all the care all the most of the key characters are animated. Right. So I, I would you know, since I'm not a member of the Academy. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. How I, they do I, I would lobby heavily uh for it to be included just because I think it would be, you know, does it have a chance against Pixar Disney on probably not, but I don't know. I I, I would like to see it yeah. because I feel like that would be a way that it could get more exposure because I feel like this was kind of missed by a lot of people. Um, sure. And I think it could have done a lot better in theaters and could have reached a lot more people. I think this is kind of like a hidden gem that came yeah. out in 2021. Could be. Well, Marcel, the shell with shoes on very funny, very touching, uh, well-written, well put together. Just, yeah, it was just a great experience. So yeah. very fun. Thank you for pushing hard to have this film brought to our film <laughs> Every society. Every once in a while I can and, find a good one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, this one this one worked for me. It was great. 
All right. I will say it's, it's in theaters, limited theaters, did not get a very big wide release. So I guess good, bad news. Bad news is not a lot of people got to see it in theaters. Good news. It'll be available online a lot quicker, probably. Yeah, I think actually by the time this comes out, it may be. Sorry. Let's see. Okay. Hmm. I was thinking about a way we could cut around that. Oh, yeah. Um, here, I'll, I'll go back. Okay. Moose, if you're listening, our editor, <laughs> cut my sneeze out. If you miss it, I apologize to everybody. I just sneezed during the show here. So um, I'll just say, uh, so both some good and bad news there is that bad news is that a lot of people probably did not see this in the theater because it didn't get a great wide release and went a little under the radar. Good news is that means it may be going quicker online, which I think by this point it I already probably think is. By the right? time you hear this episode, it will be available. Okay. Now I don't know if it'll be a rent or you have to buy it for like right. eleven bucks or whatever. But I think by the time you hear this, you will be able to access it. So that's I guess a good thing. Yeah. Although you know it's a fun theater film, but since it's not going to be available for a lot of people to see it in the theaters, this will be the next best option you got. So sure. Marcel the Shell with shoes on. Uh, high recommendation from both of us. Definitely worth your time to check out. Fun movie. All right, Chris, let's take a quick little break. Uh, when we come back, we've got some movie news to share. And then we'll end also with our special dual recommendation of the episode. All right, stay tuned. You're listening to Foot Candle Films here on Mesh.tv. We'll be right back in just a moment. This podcast is sponsored by Jackson Creative a custom communication agency located in downtown Hickory, North Carolina, specializing in online content creation. To learn more, visit thejacksoncreative.com. Jackson Creative, we tell your story. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.TV podcast network. Alan Jackson and Chris Fry with the Foot Candle Film Society and the annual Foot Candle Film Festival here talking new movies we just finished our reviews of 3,000 Years of Longing and Marcel the Shell with Shoes On. Positive reviews for both. I think we were both definitely higher on Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, but both films we feel like are worth checking out and uh, overall positive for us on both of those. Uh, but let's talk about now some new movie projects coming down the pipeline soon. Uh, Chris, I got two stories of projects I want to share with you. Uh, neither of them are coming out yet. Um, although one will be a little bit sooner than the other, but both of you, I think are interesting. It it involves two people that I think we've, we've talked about in the past. And I know we've reviewed films they've been in or have made in the past. And, uh, it's good ones to follow up on and kind of see what their next moves are. Okay. One of them being a director, uh, Damien Chazelle. Yes. You know, of Damien Chazelle. Uh, yes. Last saw him uh, make the film First Man with Ryan Gosling, which was the astronaut uh, Neil Armstrong movie yeah. that he made. Sure. Um, did not fare as well. I, I, I dare say it, it didn't quite make the waves, I think, that you know, his previous film, La La Land, <laughs> right. made, meaning it almost won, won the, the Oscar. best picture. <laughs> well, for a few minutes, it did right. win the it, best picture sure. Oscar, and then it lost it again. Um, and also Whiplash. And also Whiplash, one of my favorite films, probably my favorite film that he's done. Um, So he's made a few big ones. And First Man was, I think, overall successful. But I think it was a much different film. Right. Uh, Much, uh, much, uh, much darker, more difficult film than I kind of expected it to be. Mm -hmm. 
Well, I think he got the memo that he needs to <laughs> kind of go back to something bigger, louder, boisterous so again. Do another thing he even music. said, after the quietness of First Man, I wanted to do something big, boisterous, and loud. Okay. So the result is a film called Babylon. Now, Babylon is it's all a Babylon about... Babylon 5 movie? Yes, he's adapting Babylon 5. Nice. To a musical. Completely uh, unpredicted there. Nice. Now, this one is actually a star-studded homage to Hollywood silver, a silent era, so silent film era. Okay. Um, it's a mostly fictional film. Okay. But he does say mostly. He does say that characters are going to be based off of characters from real life, but the story's fictional, and the characters are mostly fictional. So there's going to be some, hmm. some real-life character influences in the film, but okay. uh, it is meant to be overall fictional. Um, here's what's interesting about this film, Brett or Chris. Has he, has he started production yet or no? Yes, okay. I believe so. It is set in the 1920s. Okay. Actually, yeah, they've actually, uh, he played a trailer. So it's actually already been shot. Alrighty. There is a trailer that got played at a film festival recently. So this will be probably within the next few months. We'll be seeing this. Um, hmm. here's the cast. This is where I think things are interesting. Uh, set in the not late 1920s, Babylon puts the spotlight on Brad Pitt as a bona fide leading man, Margot Robbie as an up and coming starlet. Then you mix in the rest of the cast Toby Maguire, Max Minghella, Spike Jones, Gene Smart, Flea, Samara Weaving, and Olivia Wilde. All right. Oh, Olivia Wilde. Oh, Olivia Wilde. <laughs> Looking to kind of get that. Don't worry, darling, uh, 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 stain off of her career and moving forward. Um, So he does say it's the biggest cast and the biggest number of roles he's ever juggled by far. The casting process took a long time. Like he said, the film is fictitious, but the characters were, quote, inspired by composites of real life people. Um, They say the trailer, people who saw the trailer, it's not been released to the public. It's just out there. It just played it one time in a film festival. They say the trailer plays like an over-the-top mashup of Boz Lerman's The Great Gatsby and Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Sign me up. The loud, dazzling trailer veers into not-safe-for-work territory, chock full of cocaine and topless women. (laughs) Oh, okay. So, kind of interesting. Um I look, I love movies about making movies. So, and I think the silent era of Hollywood filmmaking is an interesting time to explore. Um, does not sound like it's going to be a musical, but it sounds okay. like music will be playing an important part in the storytelling. Um, and that cast, I'm just really intrigued by that cast. Yeah. Brad Pitt uh, uh, and Margot Robbie. I mean, I kind of feel like Margot Robbie is in about every other film that's coming out now. <laughs> And Brad Pitt. I mean, I always like Brad Pitt. Yeah, in there. Sure. I'm more intrigued by some of the supporting roles. Toby Maguire. We haven't really seen him in much except for a little Spider-Man cameo. And that's about it. Right. Spike Jones uh, in, a, in a film. Yes. Where's Spike Jones been? I don't know. Since her. Yeah. He's kind of been off the radar. Gene Smart, who's been doing some amazing work in like some television shows as of late. Uh, Flea is always, you know, seems to kind of randomly <laughs> pop up in films. He was in uh, the Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. yeah. Strange. Anyway, so I'm just very, very curious about this film now. I I did really like La La Land. I did too. I liked Whip, Whiplash better. That's still my favorite of his films. I would be the opposite of that. Okay, so you liked La La Land better. Yes. 
Now, you did not like La La Land that much the first time we reviewed it. So have you come around on this film? I guess I have. Okay, good. All right. Yeah, I'll have to. I'll have to look back and. I remember see. you just saying that the music wasn't as memorable, and there were some uh, just some things about it that didn't okay. work. But you have seen it again since then. I take it, or yes. at least ex- explored it, and now you're a fan. I I do. I I am a fan. Now, granted, um, to be better than Whiplash, that's not a <laughs> that's not a high mark. Well, um, I love Whiplash. I, I, I remember. I yeah, remember. yeah. We won't I, relitigate that. And okay. there, there's some acting and stuff, but I just felt like it was, yeah. <laughs> Uh, kind of in your face and beating me over the head instead of the drum with your message of your movie. But all right, well, you know, okay. <laughs> well, anyway, we uh, we may differ on that, but we sure. will see how we feel about Babylon when it comes out. Um, okay, December twenty fifth. So it is coming oh, out soon. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Paramount's opening in theaters December twenty fifth. Okay, so sidebar. Yeah, that is somewhat refreshing mm-hmm. that I have not already seen this trailer. 50 million times, which I think kind of in a way hurt 3000 years of longing. The movie we reviewed first on this episode, because that trailer I saw a lot and I really liked the trailer and it got me really there again. It's all about expectations. You know, we mentioned that with Marcel, the shell, we haven't even seen a trailer for this thing yet. It's coming out out, uh, on Christmas. Three months. That is awesome. Three months. And it's a Brad Pitt movie. Which there again, if it was a small independent film that had no name, name stars, yeah, I don't expect to hear about it until right. a couple weeks before. I can't it's believe I haven't seen a trailer already. For yeah, this, but it so. being a big, big, bigger budget, hmm. Brad Pitt, Margot Robbie film coming out in three months, right? From the guy who did La La Land. So now keep in mind, Margot Robbie also has Amsterdam coming out, right? Uh, by David O. Russell, I think in December also. That's kind of interesting. Uh, it's it's coming out before the end of the year. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So anyway, interesting, interesting. times there. Yeah, I'm yeah. very curious. I knew nothing about Babylon before reading this Variety article about it, and now I'm I'm all in. I'm yeah. ready for it. Okay. Cool. Let me uh, flip uh, flip the gears a little bit or turn the gears here. Let's let's talk about another project. This one being a uh, for an actress that okay. um, I don't feel like we've really seen much of lately. I'm trying to think the last film. She did, uh, but it's Jennifer Lawrence. Okay. Jennifer Lawrence. She was in Mother. Well, yeah, she was in Mother. (laughs) Mother, with the exclamation point. Right. And she was in the film by David O. Russell about the woman who invented the... Joy. But I think Mother was Uh after Joy, if I remember correctly. I think so. And then, of course, she's been in all the Hunger Games movies. Hold on. Now, um, I should have done my homework before him, but I told everybody (laughs) this is a little more rough and tumble show today. Sure, sure. So let's see. uh, Help me... Mr. Internet, and tell me what was the last film that yeah, she mo- did? It seems oh, like she- Don't Look Up. Oh, okay. okay. Which was a so Netflix she did do release. Don't Look Up. Which was- but let's look a little bit further back. Okay, Mother, I think, was the last one that she got a lot of attention for. But she has done something in between Don't Look she Up did. and Mother? Okay. She did a Red Sparrow. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. which I didn't get a lot of attention. I know it was, it was supposedly a decent film. She was in X-Men Dark Phoenix. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Yeah. And then she did Don't Look Up. Okay. So I will say she's... I don't blame her for X-Men Dark Phoenix, but I really hated that movie. Look, the last big, I think, big movie that she kind of got a lot of acclaim for and was like the lead in, outside of Mother, was probably Joy back in 2015. That was the last David O. Russell movie she did. And she also did Silver Linings Playbook. I mean, so... Yeah, yeah. She's done plenty way before that. It's just... Since Joy and then Mother in 2017, it's been kind of low. It's 
not been a lot of big, big projects for her. Sure. And even don't look up. She was, I won't say she was a lead. I mean, it was everybody there was kind of more supporting role than anything. Right. Um, but this film that she's got coming up is called Causeway. And Causeway is a film where she stars as a U.S. Army soldier recovering from injuries that are both mental, physical, and spiritual. Oh. It is a very slow burn, nonverbal indie uh, film. Okay. And it's being directed by Lila Nosebuyer. Okay. Who I looked up and has never done a feature film before. But she got a lot of acclaim for directing episodes of Made, which is a TV show, I think, on Showtime, maybe. I don't remember what network, but supposedly a very good show, Made. And also Room 104, that HBO series that was out where okay. I think she did some episodes of that. Okay. But um, this film, uh, very similar, kind of harkens back to how she got her start, which was back in 2010 with Winter's Bone, hmm. before she got in the whole Hunter, Hunger Games. Right trilogy sure you know winner's bone was really the first movie that we got exposed to jennifer lawrence it was a small independent film uh she got a lot of award acclaim for that performance and so this is kind of her a little bit of return to those indie roots a bit probably the smallest film she's done since she did winner's bone um now it also co-stars uh brian tyree henry who plays uh he's been doing a lot lately mm -hmm. he's a laid-back mechanic who Kind of uh, when she stops at his garage after her family's truck breaks down, they uh, chat and he helps her out. So uh, it's a little bit, it's supposed to be a very quiet film, you know, but getting back to a little bit more of that independent uh, filmmaking roots hmm. for Jennifer Lawrence from a performance standpoint. So cool. um, do, we, do we know the release date on that? The release date on this is. I wonder if they're trying to make it for. 2022 or whether it's just you know basically they'll wait and do 2023 if it's a smaller indie probably not well i think it's actually coming out very soon because it's oh, actually okay. being reviewed nowadays oh, so i think okay. we're probably within a couple months of seeing it as well okay um hmm. and that was causeway causeway okay uh again jennifer lawrence brian tyree henry nope that's it pretty much the two the two actors that's i mean everybody else's smaller supporting roles Directed by Lila Nujbeer, and it looks like it is coming out. Oh, let's see if I've got a release date. Oh, November. Yeah, so we're coming out here in the next uh, couple months. Okay. Uh, so that'd be interesting. I'm just kind of curious with her career. I think, you know, she, she hit some highs really high as far as big box office with the Hunger Game movies. She got into the David O. Russell movies, which kind of let her take on some lead performances in a couple of those. Uh Passengers, I know she did with, um, who's the guy, uh, Star-Lord guy from Guardians <laughs> of the Galaxy. What is his name? Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt. And uh, so I'm kind of curious to see how this comes about with that film. Causeway coming out in November. All right, Chris, the so last thing I've got to share with you is a trailer. Okay. Um, we have talked about Steven Spielberg a fair bit on this show, but we have been around for the kind of the latter stage of Steven Spielberg's uh, film career. I kind of see it in phases. I think you had the big, he's the, uh, the, 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 the wonder kind kid who's just making all these big blockbuster movies and kind of seen as the future of cinema back in the eighties and maybe in the nineties. I felt like there was a real slump of time 
around the time Hook came out, which is still one of my least favorite Steven Spielberg movies. Hmm. Uh, I'm actually, even though I love dinosaur movies and I love the idea of giant dinosaurs, I, I I'm a little more negative on Jurassic Park than a lot of his bigger fans are. You're negative on the first, or you're negative on the I'm, stuff that came I'm afterwards. I'm just less positive than most people are. I okay. do not feel like it is one of Spielberg's best films, like many people do claim it to be. Hmm. Um, but I love Spielberg. I loved early Spielberg. I love parts of middle Spielberg. <laughs> Late Spielberg has been also kind of up and down for me as well. I was a big fan of uh, West Side Story, his remake that he did last year. Right. Unfortunately, it just did not get a lot of attention, didn't get a lot of box office. Um, so this film that he's coming out with now uh, here in the next few months called The Fablemans, I'm very intrigued by because of my history with Spielberg. I'd be curious your thoughts as well. Do you know anything about this film? Uh, I know that it's whether, I don't know. I know it's based on his childhood. Um, now how, how much of it is, how much of it is like fact as opposed to fiction and like, don't know, but I know that it basically, yeah, it's kind of like loosely based maybe on his childhood. Well, let's have a little trailer top us here. A little, little, little morsel, a little taste of a trailer. This is the trailer for the film, uh, the Fablemans. And in this film, we're going to have Michelle Williams, Paul Dano, and then some uh, younger actors that I'll explain after. I think Seth Rogen's in it as well. Seth Rogen is in it as well. So uh, let's watch this trailer and we can uh, talk about it here after it's done. Movies are dreams. That you never forget. All right, so that was the trailer for The Fablemans. And in case you couldn't pick it up from just listening to the trailer, it is a story about a young man named Sammy Fableman who grows up in post-World War II era Arizona discovers a shattering family secret and explores how the power of films can help him see the truth. Chris, as you said, leading into this, yes, it is a autobiography, autobiography of Steven Spielberg. Do we, do we know how, I mean, has he said how, how tight it, do we know like how tight this is on reality or has he, I mean, I guess the film premiered, I think recently at Venice, but I don't know if he's done like interviews and stuff, probably not for it yet. Yeah. So we don't know how much is like fact and fiction. We don't know, but it is based. Okay. That as far as I know, yes, I, I have not read that he's come out and been very clear about how much I know because I have read up on Spielberg. I've read some biographies about him. Okay. Yes, I do. I do know the, having one parent, a mother who was very creative and artistic and supportive and one father who was kind of the, the more uh, uh, professional, the more, you know, I can't dabble in the art side of gotcha. things. It's more of a hobby type of thing. That dynamic did seem to exist. Okay. Um, beyond that, I don't know. Gotcha. Now, supposedly there's a shot in the trailer of him uh, wrapping up his sister or, or somebody else as mummies and filming them. That supposedly was the first type of film he ever did. So we are <laughs> okay. going to see some cool. of that. And even a shot of them approaching the theater to see the greatest story ever told mm-hmm. that movie. 
that was supposedly the movie that Steven Spielberg inspired him to want to learn how to make movies. Gotcha. So, okay. From all that, yes, I feel like this is going to be pretty heavy. I mean, I have a sure. Jewish family. Steven Spielberg's a Jewish family. Right. So I feel like this is going to be 90% autobiographical, just different names. Right. Some different, maybe a little, a little, a little more drama thrown in. Sure. um, That's what I feel like. Well, you know, as a surprise to no one, Steven Spielberg knows how to make movies and people know how to make a trailer to a Steven Spielberg movie. (laughs) Very good trailer. Um, I think over the years, what has kind of hit me with Steven Spielberg, you know, I do admire his films, but like kind of like you, it's kind of been a roller coaster over mm-hmm. his career, highs and lows. Um, the thing that gives me a little bit of reservations about this new film is just the, you know, I, I can't help it. You know, some of the sentiment, you know, the heartstrings are already being pulled in the trailer. So it may be working a little too hard, but you know, with the music and everything in the trailer, that's easy to you know have that effect, but it does look beautifully shot. I can tell by the people involved, it's yeah. going to be well acted. So, you know, I'm, I'm definitely, I am looking forward to it. It says uh, coming out on Thanksgiving. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And I, I mean, <laughs> I think unless he messes up, like a la don't worry, darling, <laughs> Olivia Wilde. Yeah. I think this will probably be up for best picture, best director because it's about him, but also about Hollywood and movies. I mean, these are the type of things the Oscars love love to award. So I, my biggest fear, I no, I, I think the trailer looks beautiful. It's, sure. It would be a beautiful movie and I would be so excited about it. If I didn't already know that it was an auto autobiography of him. Got you. My fear is it's just going to be, there's some Spielberg movies that are just way too, syrupy sweet right right that's kind of what that, I was that's saying. my yeah. fear is that sure. if this turns out to just be a lot of nasal navel gazing and just just oh let's let's really just love spielberg's career let's <laughs> let's see every inspiration he had again i'm not saying that you can't make a film about that but i'm not terribly excited about just seeing that dramatized i want to see it needs to have a little bit more to it or at least there's got to be something more of substance than it just being let's explore this family and revel in the way that Spielberg rose out of it and became this world renowned filmmaker. Here's the thing. I, right. And I think you and I are on the same page. You know, you talked about the syrupy stuff and that's the, the heartstrings being pulled by the trailer. That's kind of what I'm a little hesitant on. However, I will say, even though that probably will be in the film, I feel like Steven Spielberg is smart enough as a person, as a filmmaker, as a writer, a director, that he knows this can't put him up on a pedestal. He's not an idiot. He'd be like, yeah. no, I know. Like, I don't I see, hope so. I don't see him as somebody that's like, Hey, look at me. You know, I want like, to make a big movie about, about myself. myself. Like, I, I hope think, there's something more you know, to it. Hence why it is the fable. Yeah. Like, and there will be some things that will be different. Kind of what I hope is I, I feel like he's too smart to, to do I that. I hope so. I really <laughs> yeah. hope the trailer as beautiful as the trailer it's is. It's a good trailer. Uh, does give me some pause. Sure. I understand. It certainly makes it sound like it's just going to be a pat myself on the back. Let, let me tell you about my life and, and, and have you admire me for where I came from. And I, I well, I'm not interested. And in I that. will say that I think there are enough um, instances in the trailer where you get a hint of 
like flaws in different characters, and I feel like they maybe hint a little bit at flaws in the main character, which would be I, I hope guess. So, so that yeah. was like no, you know, there's. I don't know. I hope there's so. hope there. Yeah. So. Well, I, I'm looking forward to it, but I am just trying to be a little little cautious at the same time as well. So, uh, Michelle Williams, from what I've heard, has already been getting a lot of big, brave reviews for her performance. Okay. And I think Paul Dano is also capable of very good performances too. So we'll see. I know you. No, I like him. You like Paul Dano, right? Yeah. Yeah. I know I, a lot of people can be really critical yeah, of him. They can be, and um, I I used to be, but I think the last several things he's done. I thought he was great in the Batman. Oh, I thought he was wonderful in the Batman. I thought he was great. So excited to see it. Okay. Coming out November 23rd. All right. So three interesting movies we have coming out all in the next three months here, Chris. So it could be, uh, could be a decent good winter as far as some winter Oscar films or potential Oscar films to come down the pike. Okay, Chris, we've come to the last part of the show. We're done with the news. We're done with the reviews. We have our recommendations to give. And I shall take away the S off of the end of recommendations right. because it is just a recommendation. And then we have an eager to kind of talk about this film. Um, you and I, this is where Chris and I give recommendations of a film. We think you ought to check out uh, during the pandemic. It was all kind of focused on things you could watch online, but Hey, theaters are back open now. So now we're going to recommend something that right now is currently playing in the theaters. Actually, currently, Chris, number one movie at the box office. Wow. Which, not saying a lot, because the box <laughs> office is tanking right now. It is not doing well. Let's just say Top Gun in like its 13th week was number one <laughs> last weekend. So They're holding on to a lot of releases till like yes, Thanksgiving. I believe so. so. Yeah. But let's talk about the film we are going to recommend. Do you sure. want to tell what the, the name of this film that we're recommending the is? The name of the film is Barbarian by, I believe, pretty much a first-time writer-director, Zach Krieger. Yes. Um, the description, as listed in IMDb, a woman staying at an Airbnb discovers that the house she has rented is not what it seems. So there you go. There you go. So he has directed some TV but nothing, uh, nothing that feature you really notice. Okay. No feature film. You're right. First one. He's more of an actor. Okay. Actually, he's acted in a lot of things. Interesting. Um, he was in Barbarian. He played the character of Everett, which I don't remember I which one that is. Don't, yeah, I don't either. <laughs> so a small part. But okay. he is primarily an actor uh, or known for that in the past. But um, now he is a director directing a feature film. It is a horror film. Um, Chris gave you the little one-line synopsis of it. Um, Chris and I don't normally get to see a lot of movies together, especially brand new movies that aren't coming to our film society. So it was a rare treat to actually go. And neither one of us are big fans of scary horror movies. Okay. I just got to say I was wrong. This is not the first film this guy's directed. Oh, really? He's directed a film called the civil war on drugs. <laughs> was that a film or a TV show? I, it's a 90 minute, it's listed in a uh, letterbox. Oh, a you're right. Yeah. 2011. So, uh, but he co-directed it. So this okay. may be his first, like, you know, uh, apparently he's part of a comedy troupe, the whitest kids, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but they did something called the civil war on drugs, which looks well, also a film called miss March back in 2019. So, all right. So he's okay. made some stuff, yeah. uh, but it's mostly all been comedy up to this point. Uh, but this is his first, obviously jump into yeah. horror film. Right. Um, so with Barbarian, Chris and I are not huge horror fans. I mean, for me, a horror film has to be, it can't just be based on trying to just do jump scares and be as gory or as graphic as possible. I, that doesn't work for me. 
And same with me. I like a horror film that's smart. I like a horror film that kind of uh, is willing to play with expectations. Um, and uh, I will say coming out of Barbarian, I, part of why I'm echoing this recommendation is I had a really good time with this film. It is scary at times. Mm-hmm. Not as scary as I kind of expected to go in, which is okay. Yeah. I mean, it was, I think once you, once you get into the, premise of the film and you understand where it's going. I didn't really find it to be scary. It was more intriguing and fascinating to see where it's going to end. Right. Yeah. Agreed. But the lead up to where we start to realize what's happening was creepy and scary and intense and well done. Yes. Um, I did like this movie for not relying on jump scares. I mean, there are a couple, but not anything like you normally see in a, in a horror film. It was more the unknown. And then when you start to realize what's out there, the way that was presented and shown was pretty effective. So, um, uh, I, I liked it. What, 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 what did you like about this film? I'm, I'm on the same page with you. And we mentioned how we don't like horror films. For instance, this movie, we saw the trailer before. Nope. We saw it before a lot of movies we've seen recently. I had no interest mm-hmm. in seeing this film based on the trailer that, you know, that they were playing for it. However, I owe it to Alan that he said, Hey, you know, I've heard that there's, there's some good stuff. I've heard some good stuff about this. It's not, you know, there's more to it than just what we saw in the trailer. It's worth us giving a shot. So, yeah, we both caught up with it, and I'm I'm glad I did. I will, you know, echo the recommendation. I think it's, you know, it is still, you know, yeah, it's. I guess if you are genre classifying it, yeah, it's it's definitely a horror film. It's not something, you know, it's definitely rated R. But if you're one of those people that likes kind of the newer take on horror films that come out things like hereditary or midsommar or you know to some extent last year's malignant this is not Mm -hmm. like that but you know how that film kind of had this like we're going to do something that's just going to be crazy you know and it so they did something this is in a way like yeah they're just playing with expectations and i like what they did with that in this so uh yeah you know october's coming up so uh this might be one that we're recommending, but you would actually it might be fun to go see in a theater. So. Yeah, no, I agree. And I, I do. We haven't even mentioned you know people in the film, but sure. Georgina Campbell plays Tess, who's kind of our our lead in the film. And I was um, unfamiliar with her. I am too, but she was good. She, she was, was good. very very good. Yeah. She um, she has a difficult part to play in that. I'm not going to spoil anything here, but she she could very easily fall into some of these stereotypes of someone who is in a horror film making very, very poor judgment decisions. <laughs> yeah. And I like the fact that she knew some of these decisions she was making were not very smart, but she felt like she had to. And I think she played that very well. I think right. we, we got that from her. We, we, I never once thought of her as just, Oh my gosh, why is she doing this? Like I do most lead characters in horror movies. Sure. Um, Bill Skarsgård is also in the film, uh, kind of a co-lead. Um, he also had a very interesting part to play, mm-hmm. and I think he played it well and played with expectations, and I, I like that. So. And I will say the only thing I really know him from is like the It films yeah. where he plays Pennywise. Pennywise. And it's so hard for me, which I think helps the film, um, or like my experience in those you know opening stuff. Because I just can't help but see Pennywise when well, I look at him. <laughs> I think that was very intentional, his sure, casting here. Sure. And I'm just going to leave it at that. I think that was meant to lead you down a path yeah. with him. Uh, and then Justin Long plays AJ. Um, 
the less said about his role, the better, because really it's he's not in the trailer, and that's fine. I, I think it is he marketed, is listed on the poster. It's marketed that he's in the film. Yeah, he is in the film. Yeah, and we're just gonna leave it at that. I don't think we need to <laughs> say anything enough. more because I think the film does take you on a couple paths and does a little bit of a shift at a point in the film that was a little unexpected. And um, yeah, that's uh, that's all we need to say about that. So, <laughs> um, yes, the, the second half of the film very different than the first. Um, and I like that. Yeah. I think that worked for me. So, uh, barbarian, I will say effective horror film. Um, there are a couple shots in this film. I will just say one involving a dark tunnel with something emerging from the tunnel. Um, it's pretty darn creepy, pretty good. (laughs) And it was a good shot and it was well done. And, uh, so yeah, I can walk away saying there's a, there's a lot to, to like here. So, yeah, I look forward to seeing what uh, Mr. Krieger does in upcoming efforts. I think it'll be interesting. All right, so that is our joint recommendation, which is the film Barbarian, uh, directed by Zach Krieger. It is in movie theaters right now. Like I said, as of this past weekend, number one film. It's only with $10 million, but, you know, that's hey, still number one's number one. They can put on their poster and DVD release right. or whatever, number one film. But, you know, these horror films... This one, low budget. I mean, lower budget. I mean, there's, you know, uh, you can you can make these things, make these horror films pretty inexpensively. Right. You know, making $10 million opening weekend, supposedly it outperformed what they expected, I think, because a lot of buzz started picking up. Probably. There's a lot of chatter online. People saw even like big name directors saying, oh, yeah, you got to go check this out. This movie's awesome. So that's what got me excited is sure. I, you know, read about that and uh, read some people that I respected online saying, no, no, no. This is good. This is like surprisingly good. You go, and so that's what motivated me to want to go see it. So uh, good. That is Barbarian, our joint recommendation. Chris informed me during the break. Not our first time we've ever jointly recommended a film, but it's been quite a while. And it's been a while, yeah. It's been a while. So normally we both have to come up with independent choices. I'm off the hook because I didn't really have anything to <laughs> recommend otherwise, but I'm happy to put my recommendation in on Barbarian as well. Okay, so that is our show. Positive review of 3,000 Years of Longing with some misgivings, but overall we feel like still a good film worth checking out, mainly because of the visuals, uh, the core story involved, even though we have some concerns about the narrative and the way it was spread out over the film. Um, But 3,000 Years of Longing, still very good. Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, very, very good. I think we both were very positive on that and had a lot of fun with that film. And then we talked about Damien Chazelle's movie Babylon. We talked about Jennifer Lawrence's film Causeway. We talked about Steven Spielberg's film The Fableman, Fablemans, and then our last recommendation of Barbarian. So, Chris, how can people get a hold of us and talk to us about anything happening in this episode today? You can send an email to info at footcandle.org. You can follow us on Twitter at footcandlefilm. We're on Letterboxd, where you can track what we're seeing, and sometimes we leave short recommendations, or reviews, rather. Uh, You can give us a star rating, write a review, share with your friends on whatever service you happen to receive this podcast on. It'll help us reach new listeners. We'd appreciate that. Last but not least, it'll probably be the last episode I mention it, uh, 2022 Foot Candle Film Festival will be held September 21st through the 25th, coming up really soon. Don't miss it. If you can't attend in person in Hickory, North Carolina at the Hickory Community Theater, if you live in North Carolina, you can watch some of the films online. So there's that option as well. Yeah, the films are available online the day after we show them in person at the festival. 
and they will be online until the following Wednesday. So for some of those films, you're going to have you know, six, seven days to be able to watch them, possibly. Others may be like three or four days, but you'll still have several days to watch no matter what. So we do encourage you, if you're in the state of North Carolina, come out in, uh, in person or stay online and watch them the days after we show them in person here at the festival in Hickory. But uh, we are looking forward to it. It's always a fun weekend. We will be exhausted and tired afterwards, <laughs> but that's okay. We're going to have a good time with it. And uh, we will be back with Foot Candle Films, the podcast, here within the next couple of weeks as well. We'll probably be recording again after the festival's over. And uh, I'm sure at that time we give a little quick recap on kind of how the festival went as well as talk about new films. Uh, we'll be excited to go back to the theater and see some newer films outside of our festival. But I am looking forward to seeing all the films at the festival coming up uh, later this month. All right. So for Foot Candle Films, this has been Alan Jackson and Chris Fry across from me. Uh, wishing you thank you and good wishes and good rest of the month. And we'll talk to you next time. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.